You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. So, <laughs> hey, welcome, Pastor Bob. <laughs> Thanks, brother. How's everybody doing? Cool, cool. Yeah, I'll tell you, I, you know, my kids are not in high school or junior high anymore, but I'll tell you, I would send them to any camp where they start shooting arrows at each other. I mean, I, I mean, come on, you know, that, that's amazing. You know, that, that's great. You know, you could not have picked a better Sunday to be here. You know, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, it, but I got to just say, and Ryan, you're probably listening to this thing right now. What a dumb series title. I, come on, seriously? But as I got to thinking about it, I got to thinking, you know, the best sermon ever has nothing to do with who's preaching it. Think think about this. The best sermon ever is the sermon that somehow captivates you and changes you and moves you from who you are to who God wants you to be. That's the best sermon ever. And it has really little to do with this. The best sermon ever, guys, may be what your wife says to you on the way home today. Just tell her, hey, honey, that's the best sermon I ever heard. And then do whatever she asks you to do, you know? That being said, I want us to think about a question that gnaws at me a little bit, and maybe it's one that gnaws at you. What is it that God wants to do in your life? Seriously. That, that sounds like something a pastor would say. What does God want you to... By the way, thank you for being in the splash zone here. I really appreciate that. What does God want from your life? A legit question. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, just two verses, that will really help articulate for you and me what it might be that God wants for you. Not for the person next to you, but for you. And that's what we're going to look at. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's, he's giving us 16 chapters out of Romans, okay? And by the time we get to Romans 12, it says this, Therefore I urge you, and I was always taught, and you were probably taught too, that any time in the Scripture you see the therefore, you ask the question, what is it therefore? Right? And the idea is that in light of everything that Paul has been writing about in 11 chapters, in light of all of that, he now says, this is how you need to live. That's why the therefore is there. Now, understand, the book of Romans is one one of the awesome books in the New Testament. Maybe the awesomeness one. But did you know there are four therefores there in the book of Romans? kind of worth looking at in terms of introduction here. Uh, The first one is what I call the therefore of sin. In Romans chapter 3 verse 20 it says, it says, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sin. You see, Romans is a very logical book. And every time you see that therefore, he's basically saying, hey, there's a new division for you to look at. There's, There's new stuff that's following. Uh, The second therefore is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. And I call that the therefore of salvation. 
Because there Paul says, therefore, verse 1, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we've been justified through our faith. Hey, here's the third one. One of my favorite verses, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I call that the therefore of security. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Woo! Good stuff. Now we come to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read the whole two verses. And by the way, if you're part of church world and you grew up here, you already know these verses. So don't check out on me. Listen to it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is saying, therefore, on the basis of everything I've been teaching you, here's how you live. And the point that he's making, if you're taking notes this morning, this is one you might want to write down. The true test of my beliefs is always in my behavior. The true test of what I really believe is somehow going to be manifested, revealed in how I behave. You can say all you want to. You can be the best communicator that there is, but ultimately, the test of my true belief is how I behave. That's what James is all about, by the way. And how do you discover what God wants for my life? Well, there's no magic formula. There isn't. And there's there's no certain way you have to feel. And it's not a formula, but there are three very powerful principles born out of these two verses here. And these are the ones that as you leave today, I want you to hold on to these three principles. Principle number one. It's called the principle of dedication. What's the D word? What's the D word? Dedication. The principle of dedication. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here's the deal. The secret of knowing God's will, God's plan for your life, is to be willing in advance to do whatever He wants you to do. This is, this is huge. Even before you know what it is, that's what we're talking about in dedication. You know, how many of us, including myself, have said, Oh God, show me what your plan is, and once you show me my, your plan, then I'll decide whether or not I'm going to do it or not. But the key to dedication is different than that. The key to de- dedication is, Oh God, what is it you want me to do? But even before you tell me, I'm in. Uh, old song, this old course is called Yes, Lord. You probably drive Josh crazy, but you know, like my generation. And the chorus was, Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. 
And it's repeated about five billion times. You know, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. I've often thought on that chorus, that's how I want to be. I want to say yes to God before he tells me what it is he wants me to do. God, I'm in. I'm in. Because I know you, I know your character, I know you have your best plans just for me, for my family, for my church, for my community. I'm in. No matter what it is. This is huge. That's the attitude God wants us to have. I am totally dedicated to you, God. And I'm willing to say yes for my life. Yes to you for my business. Yes to you for my career. Yes to you for my kids. I'm in. Do you know the reason why Abraham is called the father of our faith? Think about this. He said yes to God. Oh, this is crazy. Even before God told him where he was going. (laughs) Can you imagine being in a caravan going across a desert? And God's saying, I'll tell you when you get there. How do you plan for that? That was not the issue. The issue was, I'm going. Even before you tell me the destination, I'm in. I'm in. If you're married, can I just tell you, when you're there and you say, I do, what you're saying is, what? I'm in. Hey, I don't know what life is going to have for us as a couple, but I'm in. Whatever it is, good, bad, rich, poor, health, no health, I'm in. So we say it. But 50% of people in this world, even in the church, say I'm in until it gets too hard. (laughs) Listen, guys. If you come out of a hurt relationship, I hurt with you. I do. And I want as a church us to come alongside you and love on you big time. And as a church North Valley, we're saying to you, Married, single, divorced, we're in on your life. We're in for you. Now, what's the reason for this dedication? The principle of what is it again? One more time. What is it? Dedication. That's right, okay. What's the reason? It's right there in the text. I urge you, brothers, and then he says, in view of God's mercies. In view of God's what in the world is that? His mercies are all covered in Romans chapter 1 through 11. The mercies of God are laid out. Salvation, it's yours in Christ. Protection, it's yours. Security and peace and reconciliation, those are the mercies of God. He's saying, in view of the fact that God's done so many good things for you, get dedicated to him. He doesn't ask that. In a vacuum? He says, you and I have experienced that in a very personal way. Unique to you. Unique to me. So what are some of the characteristics of Christian dedication? If the principle of dedication is the main deal there, what are some of the characteristics? Are you ready for it? Write it down. Number one, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. God doesn't put you in a headlock. You've got to be dedicated, man. Be dedicated or I'm going to hurt you. 
Come on. I think sometimes people think that it's, it's, it's voluntary. I love the phrase, offer your bodies. Offer your body. That's a vol- voluntary thing. Offer your body. One translation says, make a decisive dedication of your body. And by the way, that word in the original language is the same word for making a reservation for a table in a restaurant. Did you know that? Yeah. It, it means make a reservation. It's, you know, the table has been set aside for your benefit. Nobody else can use that table, but it's voluntary whether or not you show up or not. Put a reservation card on your life. My God, my life, my time, my money, myself completely belongs to you, God. The second thing, besides voluntary, it's also practical. Dedication is a very practical kind of thing. It says, offer your bodies. Why would God want your body? You know, I'm a big one of t-shirts. You know, the t-shirts over there for North Valley, by the way. Okay? Aren't they free? Yeah, there you go. I want a t-shirt that says, this bod belongs to God. (laughs) This bod belongs to God. By the way, why doesn't God say, offer your spirit? Offer your soul to God. Why not? Because when you give your body to him, everything else, everything else follows. If God owns your body, he owns you. Have you ever heard anybody say, I can't make the meeting tonight, but I'll be with you in spirit? You've said it, haven't you? It's a great sentiment, but it's practically worthless. Your spirit doesn't do anything if your body isn't there. It's one thing to say, we're going to give our money to Navajo missions. It's another thing to make a commitment in July and say, you know, I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do it. It's one thing to say, man, North Valley, I'm really behind you. It's another thing to wear a tag that says, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve with kids. I'm going to serve with babies. I'm going to serve by shaking hands. Shaking hands is so cool. Practical. There's a third thing. It's complete. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice is one of those Bible words that we kind of throw out. I'm making a sacrifice for you, God. But it's a really good word. Sacrifice means total, unconditional dedication to God. Because what's principle one, number one principle of? Come on. Principle of? Dedication. Come on, get with it. You know, come on. The starting point for understanding what does God want to do in my life is dedication, and you're offering your body as a living sacrifice. Usually when we think of sacrifice, we think of something that is dead. This is turning the tables. It says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. But you and I both know the problem with a living sacrifice is it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. And we've been there. Wow, what a great sermon. And by the time we walk out to the parking lot, we've crawled off the altar of whatever decision we were making in our heart. That's why this idea of a sacrifice has this idea of daily sacrifice. 
daily dedicating yourself to the Lord. And note, it says holy and pleasing to God. In, in the original language, that means well-pleasing to God. And then it says, when you do this, <laughs> when you dedicate yourself, listen to this, that is your spiritual worship. Isn't that great? Worship is not just something we do on Sundays. Worship is not just singing. Worship is any time you commit yourself to God. Any time you make a commitment of your life to God, that's worship. Commitment of your time, commitment of your praise, commitment of your money, commitment of your family, committing of your decisions. At that moment, listen, this is so important. This is, this is theology. At that moment, you're entering in to worship. So the first principle is the principle of what? Dedication. That's right, but that's not all. There's a second principle, and it is the principle of insulation. You want to discover what it is today that God wants out of your life. The principle of dedication is followed by the principle of insulation. I love that phrase. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. He ties it with dedication. And one of the reasons, by the way, that many people never get through the first principle of dedication is because they're dedicated to the world. That's where their, their, their dedication is. And that's why I say insulation from the world is a principle for finding out what God wants to do in your life. Now, when he talks about the world, he's not talking about the planet. And he's not talking about people, because God loves people. He wants you to love people. When he talks about the world, he's talking about the world's value system. The world's value system, you know, that don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Uh, if I were to, to, to condense down, what do I mean by, by the world? I think it would be listed as two words. Me first. Me first. You want to know what the pattern of the world is? It's a me first. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? We choose churches that way. What's in it for me? We choose whether or not we're going to invest in somebody or something often asking the question, what's in it for me? Can I suggest that it's conforming to a pattern that it's not the pattern that God wants? I, I, I just, the Phillips translation, which is actually a paraphrase for that little phrase there, you know what he says? This is so good. This is one to write down. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Isn't that... Wow! Have you ever felt pressured to conform? I have. Every day. So how can Christians relate to the world when we're living in the world? How, can, how do we do that? Philippians chapter 2 tells us to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That was written 2,000 years ago. Does it sound pretty contemporary? Yeah, it is. 
Well, one way of looking at it, instead of being insulated from the world, there's two extremes. One is isolationism. Some people are isolationists. I don't want anything to do with the world. I won't go to the movie. I'm not going to watch television. I'm not going to dress like the world. I'm going to have a different standard. I'm just going to separate myself off. You go to a monastery and you say, that's it, man. I'm just living there. The problem is God put us in the world for a reason. And that reason not only is to make an impact in the world. Listen to this. Come here. It's so that we might be sharpened ourselves. You ever do a history of of monasticism? You know when it started? Second century. People are saying, oh man, this world is really crazy. I'm going to separate myself out. And they had monasteries. Do you know that history records that some of the greatest heresies of all time were born in monasteries? When we're not doing what God wants us to do in the midst of of a crooked and perverse generation, chances are we're going to get skewed up here. It'll take us in the wrong direction. So isolationism isn't right. Some people go the other extreme. Imitation of the world. Whatever the world does, I'm going to do it. I want to fit in. Do you know that some people make their life decisions based on polling? <laughs> and I'm not just talking politics, even though that really applies. Some followers of Jesus lick their finger, put it up in the air, and whatever the wind is blowing, whichever direction, that's the way I'm going to go. God never designed us to do that. That's not a thing. So it's not isolationism. It's not imitation. It's insulation. My wife and I, we've been to Alaska a couple of times, and once when we were there, we got fish and chips. We were in the Kenai. That's great. Fish and chips there is not made out of cod. It's made out of halibut. You ever have any halibut? Oh my goodness. It's this thick. Well, that's not that thick. It's this thick. Well, it's really thick. And I'll eat that fish and chips, and there's something I do. I put salt on it just to give it a little more flavor. And you think about it. A halibut has spent its entire life in salt water. Why in the world would I have to put salt on that? Because they're insulated from the environment that they're in. If God can keep salt out of a halibut, he can keep you and I living for him in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It's a principle of insulation. Paul's basically saying our culture is a totally unreliable source for gaining direction in your life. And if you're asking the question like we started, God, what is it you want to do in my life today? Don't let the culture of this world and those values be the one that gives you direction. Because if you do, you'll find yourselves in things that you ought not to have been in. It says, don't be conformed. I love the word conform. (laughs) It's so good. You can use this on people. The word conform, we we get the word scheme. (laughs) We also 
get the word schizo, as in schizophrenic. That's that word, conform. It was used for, for like a play actor, that depending on the situation or the wave of influence of the day, you'd put on a mask. That's the word, conform. So the first principle is the principle of what? Well, that's better. But the second is the principle of? Insulation. Insulation. Oh, man, you guys are cooking. But there's a third one, and it is the principle of transformation. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking about the Holy Spirit changing us on the inside so that we might know his plan for us. And by the way, the Greek word there for transformation, you've heard it before. It's the word that we get metamorphosis from. Did you know that? God is metamorphosizing us. And that's a handful. He's metamorphosizing us. He can change the way you look. And I'm not talking about shaving your head. He can change the way you look at life. He can change the way you think. God is in the business of metamorphosis. And I don't know what your past is. Your past, you could have a hellacious past. You don't know how my parents treated me. You don't know how a husband or wife or whoever treated me. You don't know the situation. You don't know how I was bullied. You don't know any of those kind of things. I am here to tell you, to stand before you, that God is in the business of metamorphosizing you and me. People are always asking me, and you guys know me, because I'm here every six, seven weeks. Oh, Bob, you're so enthusiastic. I'm enthusiastic for a reason. This is the real deal. We ought to get excited. We ought to recognize we're on adventure. God is in the business of transforming the way we think. And, and you want to see the end result of that? How about 1 John chapter 3, verse 2? Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be, future tense, has not yet been made known. But... We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day, when you and I see Jesus, we are going to be perfectly, completely transformed. Done deal. We're not there yet. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness, with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, we're being changed to be more like Christ. And I love out of that passage the word reflect, because that word, again, in the original language, means to contemplate. It means to look at. The more I look at God, the more I look at Jesus Christ, the more I'm changed to be like him. And how do you look at the Lord? Through the Word, through His Word, through the Bible. And I just want to share with you guys, really, this is my heart of hearts. So many of us are just dabbling. We're dabbling. 
We get a good verse out of Pinterest, and we put it up. You want to become more and more like Jesus and find this metamorphosizing work of God. Immerse yourself in the Word. Because the key to changing your life is to change the way you think. It's just true. Nobody who committed adultery Let me put it another way. Anybody who committed adultery first entertained it right here. Anybody who robbed a bank first entertained it right here. Anybody who did a number to you first did it right here. And any of us who did a number to anybody else, we did it right here first. Transform the way you think. And your life will be transformed. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The secret of changing my life is changing the way I think and to be renewed through the Word of God. God's plan for you, God's plan for me, is found in His Word. Did you know the motto of Detroit Bible College? I love this. By, by the way, some of the mottos of colleges are fantastic. Some don't follow it anymore. Harvard comes right out of the Scripture. The first 113 colleges and universities in the United States were all born out of sending missionaries out. Did you know that? College of William and Mary, Yale, Princeton, Harvard. That's another sermon. Somebody forgot to disciple. But Detroit Bible College, discovering the will of God by studying the Word of God. Is that cool? And God's plan for you never contradicts God's Word. A lot of people say, I feel this is God's plan for my life. Feeling will probably take you to a place you don't want to go. Discover God's plan for you by discovering His Word. Because it goes on and says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good. In the Greek, that means high quality. It's pleasing or acceptable. God doesn't want stinky stuff for you. He wants good stuff. And how about this? It's perfect. And the word for perfect actually means complete. Oh, man, it's right here, these two verses. Nothing can improve on God's plan for your life. Earlier I said, the key to changing your life is to change the way you think. I'll give you a great example. It's a dude named C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd, look at that dude. He was a stud. You may not know he was a British missionary. But he was a famous athlete. He was a cricketer. 
and he was rich. In fact, the heyday of his life, he had about $4.5 million back at the turn of the century. I mean, that's a lot. That is Bill Gates' territory. He thought that going to church was like having a bad toothache. Those are his words. But he tells a story of listening to a message about God's plan for his life, and he leaned into it, and he crossed that barrier and trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. says, these are his words, I got down on my knees and I said thank you to God, and right then and there, the joy and peace came into my soul, and I knew what it meant to be born again. And the Bible, which had been so dry to me before, became everything, and I poured myself into it. I know that cricket would not last. An honor that came with it would not last. And in fact, in this world, nothing would last. So I determined to live my life, listen, for the world to come. And so this dude, one man, totally dedicated, insulated, and transformed by the Spirit of God, take that 4.5 million and gave three quarters of a million in the day to a guy named William Booth. Oh yeah, that was the seed money that started the Salvation Army. You may have heard of it. He gave three quarters of a million to a guy named Dwight L. Moody. You may have heard of the institution that he started, Moody Bible Institute. He gave three quarters of a million to a dude named George Mueller, and if you've never read about him, his orphanages literally saved hundreds of lives and transformed all of Great Britain. That was C.T. Stood. And then he went off to India, to Africa, did an amazing things, transformed every place that he went. And you may have heard of some of his phrases that came out of his writings. How about this one? Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Woo! Man, that's the dude I want to rub shoulders with. He didn't stop with that. He said this, listen to this. Just listen to this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The stud said that. So what does God want out of your life? What does he want out of your life? Not the person next to you, your life. I want you to consider a clip from a movie a long time ago called Woodlawn. Woodlawn, and this is a, is a great, great story. Back in the 70s, there was all sorts of racial tension that was just fever-pitched. And the story is really about a guy named Tony Nathan, who played for the uh, Miami Dolphins eventually, but he was a high school student in Birmingham, Alabama, right in the midst of all the uh, racial tension. And somehow the chaplain began to preach the power of Jesus Christ. And one by one, 
this team came to know Christ. And one by one, the coaches came to know Christ. And one by one, their community was transformed by the power of God. And at the very end of the movie, the chaplain addresses the crowd there and the crowd here. Take a look. I just want to thank Coach Geralds and his team for putting this together. Thank you, Coach. Will you look at this? I mean, take a look around. Can you believe it? This is what happens when God shows up. Now, a couple years back, I went to this thing called the Explo 72 in Dallas. I joined 100,000 other people just like us. Up until that point in my life, I guess I kind of felt insignificant. I felt like my life doesn't matter. On the last night of the week, there in the big cotton bowl, they shut off the lights. And in that darkness, Reverend Graham lit a candle, a single candle. I was standing in the very back of the stadium. But I could see that light. And I realized that my life is not insignificant. My life matters. One light became two, and two became ten, and ten became a hundred thousand. But people in Dallas started calling the fire department and the police department, saying the cotton bowl's on fire. You know what? They were right. A hundred thousand candles burning as one. Time Magazine said that the Jesus Revolution, that's what they called us, has a symbol. This is our symbol. Because there is one way. We're not gathered here united tonight because of the name of our teams or of our schools, but because of the name above all names, Jesus. Jesus, one person, alone in the dark, willing to speak the truth when it's not popular. One person, willing to speak the truth when it is not safe. When there is much at stake. Look around you. We're not alone. This is what happens when God shows up. What does God want out of your life? Can I be so bold to say it might be bigger than what you thought when you came in the doors? 
you want to know what God has for your life, I am absolutely convinced we follow that principle of dedication. I'm going to do what you want me to do before you even tell me what it is. I'm in. I'm all in. It's the principle of insulation. I'm not going to let the world be the one that shows me my values. And it's the principle of transformation. I'm going to transform my mind by being in His Word. Don't let the distance between North Valley and your home diffuse a decision that maybe you're making right now in your heart. One person can make that difference. You may be a CT stud. You may be the person that your spouse is saying, I've always wanted him. I've always wanted her to be that. I've always wanted my dad to be like that. I want my son to look up and say, that's the dude. You're CT stud to me. Am I emotional? You bet I am. Because I want that in my life, but more I want it in your life. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, this isn't the best sermon ever. This is simply your word. But Lord, to the degree I let your word into my life is the degree that I begin to see transformation in my world. I pray that every person in this auditorium leans into the truth of Romans 12, 1 and 2. May we look back to this day, this Memorial Day weekend, as the day we made that decision for Christ. In Jesus' name and all people said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.